for suit? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Well, I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. What's up and welcome in. Episode number nine. This is the Oral Pleasure Podcast presented by iHeartRadio. I'm Billy Rutledge. You can follow me on Twitter at BillyRSports. And today our guest is Mike Rutherford, the founder of CardChronicle.com, an editor at SB Nation for college basketball, and also the host of Ramsey and Rutherford on 790KRD. Mike, big fan of your work, and thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it, Billy. I've been a big fan of the pod for like seven weeks now. So this is a real thrill for me. <laughs> for as long as it's been out, I've been a big fan. Well, I appreciate that. I know we had the Jack Harlow interview. Yeah. Him being from Louisville, I appreciate you listening to that one. And, uh, you know, we're still trying to work on a nickname for me here at iHeartRadio. You call me Billy Buckets. I do. I here. do. We have heard Billy Smooth. Nick Coffey calls me Billy Bottle Service. So if the fans have any ideas of nicknames for me on an iHeartRadio level, please send them in because I am still desperately looking for one. You are legit in my phone as Billy Bucket. So if it ever changes, I'm going to have to change the phone. And I don't do that. I don't, if you're in the phone, it's never getting altered. So I just won't acknowledge any new nicknames. All right. All right. We'll, we'll think of one and we'll get it updated in your contacts. This is the Oral Pleasure Podcast, the podcast for the short attention span. Let's start it off. What do we got first? The fact that it is in-state, um, there is extra incentive for us to go play great. I think this Kentucky's a, a really a neat state from a from an interstate um, athletic NCAA standpoint, where there are you know the, the kind of the two the two big daddies in in, in the state, uh, UK and U of L, uh, and then the programs here down at WKU and in, in, in various sports that um, that has a chip on its shoulder. It wants to be considered a part of the elite, and um, I think it's huge for us to play against. And the first thing is to see how they come out and, and what kind of health that we have, you know. You know, how is Juwan, how is his physical health? And That sound courtesy of WKU Sports and UofL Athletics. Bobby Petrino and Coach Mike Sanford Jr. speaking to the media about the upcoming game this weekend. This is why I wanted to have you on, Mike, because there's a big game this Saturday. Maybe not to the expectations of UofL fans, but Western fans like myself that came from the program. We've been waiting for this game. Saturday, 9-15 at 7.30 Eastern Time, Western Kentucky will take on the University of Louisville at Cardinal Stadium. It's a game where they haven't met in 20 years, but Western, or UofL has the all-time lead 31 times, 19-12 UofL. They open up as a 23-point favorite. And Mike, what is what is the emphasis in U of L Nation right now? Is it that they are going to beat a, a team that doesn't compare to them on their level, or is it more of a, a rivalry matchup between the two squads? I think it's kind of I, I don't want to use the word panic. I think that's overstating things, but I think Louisville fans want to see a complete performance from this team that has been sort of a mystery through the first two weeks. And I think the fan base is kind of torn between, hey, throw out game one because it's Bama throw out game two because it's Indiana State and you played in the Category 3 hurricane, and then the other extreme, which is, oh my goodness, we are not nearly as good as we want to be. Bobby Petrino's lost it. The quarterback's not that good. The defense looks terrible. I think the right position is kind of being in between one of those two extremes at this point and just seeing how Western goes, which is why, you know, I know the rivalry element comes into it a little bit because Western is so eager to play Louisville and because we were so excited when the series was signed a couple of years ago. But for Louisville fans, this has to be about getting stuff right before you go into conference play because if the team looks bad for a third straight week and there's no excuse for it this time, you're kind of freaking out heading into a game at Virginia where you've always played poorly and then Florida State coming here the next week. 
I mean, this is kind of it, – it's definitely a show-me week for Louisville fans. And I think the rivalry element, yeah, that's there a little bit. It's just – it's weird how college football scheduling gets worked out, and it's not a Louisville-Western thing. But two years ago, when you signed a contract to play the series, it was, hey, Jeff Brom, he's got it rolling. He's going up against his old yeah. team and Lamar Jackson and the exciting offense. And now you fast-forward a couple of years, and it's like, oh, Western just lost to Maine, and Louisville fans are kind of freaking out about an Indiana State performance. But – it's the way college football world works. It's like uh, you know Louisville just signing this deal with Central Florida. Who knows if they're going to be good three years from now? Uh, a few years ago, they just went zero and twelve, and then they you know go twelve and zero last thirteen and zero last year. You just you never know. Well, you know, UK fans make this argument a lot: is why would we play this program that's lower than us? Why would we give Western the chance, maybe specifically in basketball, to chance to play us? Because one, if they win, then they beat University of Kentucky, and if we win, then we beat Western Kentucky University. Which means nothing to them. It doesn't help them in any way. So I always hate that argument because I want teams to play each other. It's what you talk about at the water cooler the next morning. It's why you play the sport to play teams that you know, play people that you may have grown up knowing. And I wanted this Western Louisville game. And that's what Coach Brom wanted. I think that was what his main thing to the athletic department was. I want to play Louisville. I want to measure myself against the best team in the state. And right now, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like Mike Sanford... His team is on, it's not doing very well, and UofL is a team, like you said, that's a big mystery right now. I think Louisville fans are more sympathetic to that phenomenon that you just kind of referred to because they were in that position for so long. Um, When Louisville felt like they kind of first got it rolling with John L. Smith, and even if you want to go back to Howard Schnellenberger, the issue was they couldn't get those big-name schools to come play them. They couldn't get them on the schedule, period. And so, I mean, there's still a a large faction of the Louisville fan base that is... the word grateful, I think, applies to programs like Florida State and programs like mm-hmm. Miami who had the stones to come play UofL when it didn't work out all that well for them. I mean, Florida State comes here in 2 as a top-five team with a huge winning streak. They get beat in a monsoon in overtime. It's a terrible loss for them against a Louisville team that was, I mean, to be fair, they started off a little slow that year. Miami comes here four years later. They get stomped by a Louisville team that was just still sort of coming of age. So I also see the other side of the coin, though, Like, if you're a Power 5 conference program, especially when it's a group of five team that is better than their name recognition would imply. Mm -hmm. So if you're playing Western and you beat them handily and it's a good Western team that's going to go, like the the last few years, go 9-3 and and play in a bowl game and maybe contend for a conference title, you don't get the amount of credit that you deserve for beating a team like that. But if you lose to them, you get more crap than you deserve for losing to a team like that, which is why I think you see a lot of teams... Uh, in the Power Five conferences, not want to play, you know, the Houston's back in the day, or, mm-hmm. or uh, Central Florida now, or Western Kentucky a few years ago, because you feel like the risk outweighs the reward. But like I said, I think Louisville fans are, are coming at it from a little bit of a different perspective because they're one of the few Power Five conference programs that has been on that other side, that has been desperate to get somebody uh, who is a you know, powerhouse team or a big name team to come play them when they don't have to. Talking to Mike Rutherford, the founder of CardChronicle.com and also the host of Ramsey and Rutherford on 790KRD in Louisville. Two similarities between the University or University of Louisville and Western Kentucky University are two coaches, Bobby Petrino and Jeff Brom. Bobby Petrino in his second stint with the University of Louisville. I want to get your opinion on kind of the fans' expectations and how maybe he hasn't lived up to those in the second stint. And also Jeff Brom, a guy who's not going to be with Western Kentucky during this matchup but a guy that has a history with the University of Louisville and possibly, at least what I thought and many people thought for a long time, 
a possible coach at the University of Louisville. Yeah, I think the to answer the first part there, the issue that some are having with Bobby Petrino, in, in my eyes at least, everybody looks at things from their own perspective, he hasn't had a great season yet. You thought you were going to get that in 2016, and it was great for the first 10 games, and then everything falls apart there at the end. So I think if you look at the four seasons you've had of the quote-unquote Bobby 2.0, you've had three years I think you can call good. And then one year, I'll say last year, I'll, I'll call it a disappointment because you're preseason top 20, you've got a generational talent in Lamar Jackson, and you go 8-4. and four. That's, I think, to me, that's a disappointment. Right. But year one, they overachieved. Year two, Lamar was a true freshman. He was just trying to figure, again, he said after the year he didn't even know the playbook. So for that, for that team to go 8-5 <laughs> and five and beat Texas A&M in a bowl game, I think you have to call that a good year. And then where I think Bobby lost the ability to have the fan base firmly in his corner at this point was not closing out that 2016 season. I think you can forgive going down to Death Valley and losing to a Clemson team that ended up winning the national title uh, in the last possession. That was a close game. That was when James Quick just kind of ran out of bounds yeah, we don't at the talk end. About that. Okay. We, 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 we have, we've repressed that memory. All we do is talk about the bad officiating. That's, that's why we <laughs> lost the game. It wasn't James Quick. We don't even know who that is. Uh, but that's obviously forgivable. I think you can even forgive the Houston loss because they have, I mean, Ed Oliver is a ridiculous talent. He might be the number one pick in the draft coming up. That team was good. They'd already beaten Oklahoma. It was Thursday night. It was at their house. It was their Super Bowl. All that stuff came together for Louisville to lose and play poorly. Where Bobby lost the ability to have the fan base firmly in his corner right now is that Kentucky game. If you just win that game, if you just beat a bad Kentucky team on your home field with Lamar Jackson, you go 10-2, and you play Michigan in the Orange Bowl, and forget the result. That's a good year. If you win double-digit games and you play in a New Year's Bowl game against a powerhouse program, everybody's happy. Where he lost is he lost that game, and then they get blown out by LSU. And all of a sudden, what had been such a special year for you know, the, the first 10 weeks is eh, 9-4, and four, and it's only going to be remembered for the Lamar Jackson-Heisman Trophy run. Like right. Nobody's going to remember any of the games besides that Clemson game, probably. And so I think Louisville fans now look at, at Bobby's second tenure and say, if we weren't great then, when are we going to be great? Because we're fine with being good most years. We're fine with being contenders in the ACC but being a team that's going to win hopefully nine games, maybe ten. But every now and then we want a chance to win the Atlantic Division and at least be in that conversation for a playoff spot. And if we couldn't do it when that guy was here, when's it going to happen? And I think that's the question he's got to answer because if this season goes awry, if they go six and six or right, yeah. five and seven, there's no sign that it's going to get any better anytime soon. But if they overachieve and they go eight and four, that sets up to at least be back in that conversation a year or two from now. So – I think most fans are kind of taking a wait-and-see approach, but as far as grading the first four years, it's good, but maybe not as good as we were dreaming of back in 2013. Amazing, it all boils down to one play. Sure, uh, yeah. that, that fumble by Lamar. One game, the University of Kentucky, where, like you said, it changes it from a 9-4 and four against Mississippi State to a possibly a 10-2 and two with uh, Michigan in a New Year's Eve Bowl. And uh, that leads to Brom, a guy who people think that could be a, a future Louisville head coach now that Tom Jurich is not the athletic di- director at the University of Louisville. I know he just signed a 10-year contract to Purdue, and he's losing to, who was it, Eastern Michigan yeah. on the second week, yeah. which is a bad loss for a guy that's supposed to be turning around that program. But this this name means a lot when it comes to the two teams that are meeting this Saturday and the possibility that he may be rejoined with the University of Louisville someday in the future. It means a lot to the entire area, period. I mean, the whole Brom family, I mean, they are, they're the Mannings of Louisville. I mean, Jeff was a, an icon when I was growing up, and then Brown and I were the same age. We grew up together. 
And I think everybody in the city knew from like third grade on that he was going to be something special. I mean, he was the only kid in flag football who was just slinging it around the field at the age of nine. And, you know, you don't get much secondary practice in flag <laughs> football unless you were playing St. Bernard back in the day. So everybody knows the Brahms. Everybody, I think, has an affinity for the Brahms. I think people were upset with the way that uh, Jeff and Greg were treated when Steve Craigthorpe came here in, in the late uh, last part of last decade. And I think it would be a perfect scenario for whenever Bobby steps away, which is hopefully a you know, retirement after a successful second run at Louisville, that a successful Jeff Brom, who's an established superstar in the coaching ranks, is the guy who takes over. I think that's the the perfect, the dream scenario. Hasn't really, I mean, I, I think it's still very much in a holding place right now when it comes to Jeff. He was great at Western. They overachieved last year, and they were fun in doing so, which is the big thing. If you can make Purdue football fun, You've accomplished something pretty significant. <laughs> but the 0-2 start this year, I think it really it really helped diminish those murmurs that would have been louder after the Indiana State game from fans who were so willing to say, get Jeff Brom on the horn right now. Like right. Anytime anything goes wrong, it's, hey, Vince, call up Jeff. We know you got his number on speed dial. You didn't hear a whole lot of that last weekend because Purdue had just been embarrassed at home against Eastern Michigan. So, I mean, I think he's got to – don't get me wrong. Jeff has proven a lot already – but he's got to establish himself as a guy who can win in a conference like the Big Ten consistently before he's the obvious heir apparent to the throne at Louisville. But, um, I, I mean, it's a it definitely – that wrench being thrown into it makes it the whole Bobby Petrino fan relationship definitely more interesting. I don't think there's any question. West Kentucky takes on the University of Louisville Saturday at 7.30 Eastern time in Cardinal Stadium. Quickly, UofL opened up as a 23-point favorite. Does Western cover that spread or no? Ooh, good question. It's – this is an impossible game to predict, I feel like, because like you said, I mean, Western just lost to Maine. If if they handled business against Maine, even with the Wisconsin result being what it was, I think Louisville fans would be a little bit wary of this game because of, of how they've played the first two weeks. I thought this was going to be a close game heading into the year. It feels like one of those clunker games where Western's players are just, they're so revved up to play an in-state opponent uh, in a big stadium in a game that's going to be nationally televised. But they, I mean... You lost to Maine at home. I know. I know. When you were up 21 nothing, it's hard to overlook Ugh. that. If I had to guess right now, I'll say Western covers, but it's close. Yeah, I agree. I got a bet with Gus, the engineer, on the game right now. I got Western covering the 23-point spread, but not by a lot. I think 21 feels right to me right now. And I think it'd be a lot smaller if they would have beat Maine. I, absolutely. No question about it. All right, what do we got next? The fact that I'm not coaching, the love of my life outside of my family, the fact that I lost basketball, eat, sleep, and drink from 5.30 in the morning to late at night, I eat, sleep, and drink the game, that's my penalty. The buck did stop with me. I'm out of work. But I'm not going to coach again. It's been too painful the last three years. The pain of a lifetime. Uh, So I'll look back on my memories that are in that book and say, you know what? I've had a blessed life. And they pushed me. And it upset me, and I just said, listen, other people have used that that word. I don't and will not use that word, and people of Papa John's don't use that. And that was the, that was the comment. Those sounds courtesy of ESPN's Get Up with the interview with Rick Pitino and Terry Miner's 840 WHAS interview with John Schneider. There in the sound, you can hear Rick Pitino said he's never going to be coaching again, and John Schneider talking about his demise with the company and also with the University of Louisville. 
We have Mike Rutherford, the founder of CardChronicle.com and also the host of Ramsey and Rutherford in Louisville on 790KRD. He's the author of 100 Things Louisville. So, Mike, it's safe to say you know a lot about the city. You know a lot about the university. And these are two big names that have done a lot for the university. And in the last few years have had a, a pretty bad falling out with the university. And it seems like we can't stop talking about them either. Isn't it wild to think about like just a year ago? Because it was September 26th when the FBI stuff came out, when you know Louisville's world got shaken for the umpteenth time in the last four years. But just if you want to flashback a year ago, 12 months, Rick Pitino, it feels like he's kind of gotten through the worst of the Katina Powell stuff. And mm-hmm. Louisville's recruiting well and everything's good. John Schneider... No problem with Papa John's, no controversy. He's still the Papa. He's driving his Camaro around. He's making millions of dollars. Tom Jurich is still one of the most successful athletic directors in the company, uh, in the country. And then now it feels like we haven't lived in that world for 10 years because so much has gone on. And as far as Patino and Schnatter are concerned, it's almost, I don't even know what, what word to use to describe it. It's almost ironic that these two guys who just, Let's be real. They they have hated each other for a long time. There has been a rumored animosity between the two of those guys for years now. They handled both of their controversial situations in almost identically the same way. Like both of them, they have been willing to defend themselves at every step. They kind of apologize, but every time they apologize, it's like, "Hey, I'm sorry, but here are all the reasons why this isn't my fault." Like that's kind <laughs> yeah, of been right. their mo publicly in, in light of all these scandals for the past. Uh, Patino for the past Schnatter year. starting a website where he's exactly it's all the same thing and they, and they also anytime you put a mic in front of them they want to talk so it's been it's been sad in a lot of ways I, I think not just to see U of L's reputation tarnished by all this stuff but the city of Louisville has been kind of drug into this too because Papa John's is so synonymous with the city and I mean his name's on the what it was at least on the stadium people when they think Papa John's they think Louisville and vice versa so yeah I mean it's been you wish you could shut them up, but nobody's been able to so far. <laughs> well, that relationship between Patino and Schnatter is outlined in Rick Patino's new book titled Patino, My Story, where he, where he got into depth about recruiting and talking about all the different scandals, three separate scandals that Rick Patino went through with the University of Louisville. And Mike, we haven't seen too much fallout with the FBI probe, but it seemed like that was the third strike for Patino. That's why he was gone. It wasn't just because of that FBI probe, but it was because of the two before and that one as well. Did you read this book at all? Was it anything illuminating to you about what's come out with Patino after he's been let go from the University of Louisville? I haven't read the book. I kind of took the the approach of if there's something significant in this, people who do read it and get the advanced copy. I wasn't on that list, by the way. I'm not bitter, but <laughs> wasn't on the list. But I knew that some people would, and they would write about what's in it. And if there was something significant, then I would go ahead and buy a copy and read it for myself. But from everything I've heard, and you know, people have written posts, I, One Shining Podcast did an entire segment on the book. From everything I've read and I've listened to, it's kind of just what you'd expect. And there's mm. no there's no smoking gun. And I do think it's interesting that you know we had Patino on the show last week, and he came on and he said, basically, my first question was what's your desired result with this entire thing? Like, what do you want somebody who comes in and buys the book and reads it to walk away thinking? And he was like, that's not what I'm do- why I'm doing it. That wasn't my approach. I just wanted to get my story out there in print, have it out there for the record, set the course straight. So that's his, I mean, that's kind of been his stance the whole time. But when he goes public in all these interviews, whether it's the ESPN stuff or whether it's the, the local stuff with WDRB, and I'm sure the Courier Journal one that he's doing this week, 
he kind of keeps alluding to like, we'll just wait till you find out what's going on. Like, wait till right. you find it. Wait, wait till these details come to light. And I'm like, dude, that was the whole reason you're supposed to have written the book. Mm-hmm. If you didn't put anything else out there that was going to, you know, blow people's minds, then what are we doing here? And I guess, you know, the the response from from him would be, I can't lay this stuff out now because I've got ongoing lawsuits. And if we can get David Grissom and Greg Postal and Papa John on the stand or in depositions, like, that's when you're going to find out this stuff. And I'm like, okay, but then why don't we hold off on the book until that, you know, we have that information and we can just talk about it. Because, uh, again, from my understanding, the Patino, my story, it's nothing that you can't really find with a quick Google search or by listening to any of the, you know, 100 interviews he's done in the last few months. Yeah, it always seems like it's the same thing from him. Very good at weaseling his way out of a question, maybe taking a lie detector test when it comes down to it, Mike. But it always seems like... He has the answers and just wait until the curtain comes off and everything is revealed. I do want to mention one more thing before we move on about the city of Louisville and how they've reacted to just years and years of scandals. And it seems just like depression. I mean, I started working in Louisville and then everything started to hit with uh, several different scandals with the Andre McGee, Katina Powell, then coming to the FBI probe. Luke Hancock, Tim Henderson, some of these guys that are suing the, uh, is it suing the university? It's suing the NCAA Uh in this situation where they come back. They said they didn't have anything to do with the penalties. They shouldn't be able to take the banner away. They shouldn't be able to take away Luke Hancock's most valuable player award. When this story came out, was this something with any merit to you? Was this, or was this more of a representation of a fan base of players, of people that really feel slighted by what's happened over the last few years? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I like the fact that the players are fighting for what they believe was taken away from them wrongly. And I look, I totally get where they're coming from. If I'm on that team, I'm thinking the same thing because the, and I hate to even use the word, but I guess it does apply. Like the cheating that was done from those years where they had to vacate the wins 2011 through, I think 2014 or 2015, whatever it was, it didn't enhance the product on the court whatsoever. Like there's nothing in the books. There's nothing in all the interviews that the NCAA conducted that leads you to believe that, the players who had a part in winning these titles and, and going to the Final Four in 2012 were lured there by Katina Powell. In fact, the recruits who who got involved in this whole thing, they ended up going elsewhere. Like Antonio Blakeney was the recruit who kind of was the big deal in the first when the first story first broke. Uh, Jaquan Lyle ended up not going to Louisville. The other players who are mentioned in the book were current members of U of L who were just doing these, you know, going to these minority hall parties. Like Terry Rogier, who gets mentioned. He signed with Louisville before ever visiting the campus. Montrez Harrell was the same way when he was transferring from Virginia Tech. So, yeah, Shane Bahannon was involved in all this stuff, but none of it was during his recruiting visits. So if you're acting like Louisville was out there paying these uh, these women to have sex with recruits to, in order to try and bring them there, technically it's true, but it didn't work, which is why right. I always come back to the fact that Louisville is the worst cheating program <laughs> in the entire country. They gave money to Brian Bowen, who played a position where they already had two guys there. They didn't need Brian Bowen to be fantastic last year. And they also were paying a kid apparently who had been tried to be, who had been involved with like attempted payments with like 17 other programs. And Louisville of course waltzes in at the 11th hour when the FBI is already ready to release its first uh, complaint and gets itself caught on a wire. Like it's just the, the whole thing Louisville didn't benefit from any of this stuff and yet they're going to bear the brunt of it. It has been an exhausting, exhausting four years. And I think the worst part of it is it's still not over because you still have to hear from the NCAA when it comes to this FBI stuff, whenever that yeah. thing concludes. 
because that was the one thing that you got that you had this time last year was the Katina Powell stuff sucked. The ruling was bad. We lost a NCAA tournament with a really good team, a team that the fan base loved because of it. But at least it's over. At least we can move on and start trekking forward without that dark cloud hanging over you. Now you can't even say that. Well, if you're going to cheat, at least get something out of it. It'd be nice. And then refrain yourself or take away the postseason. What was it? 2013? 14? No, 2016. not 2016. Where they retract themselves from the NCAA tournament a year they had a lot of talent. But the thing is, it didn't help the NCAA's investigation at all. They, they didn't see that at all as a good faith measure, and it didn't help the punishment that helped brought down. So you're exactly right when it comes to Louisville and how they were just on the wrong side of things every single time. And I think that's added to the frustration of the fan base because you know, they hire this guy, Chuck Smart. They pay him an ungodly amount of money. He's supposed to be the one who's you know guiding you through these choppy waters. It's, his, it's, it's on his, like I, I guess, reference that they go ahead and take away the postseason they call it a mitigating factor it's supposed to be able to reduce your penalty when your time in front of the ncaa comes the ncaa a year later basically says no we don't care none of the stuff you did not working with us not being forthcoming not taking away your own postseason and your own scholarships did anything to lessen the hammer we're about to drop on you and i think it also hurts when louisville's looked around the country and has seen the other programs that have fought tooth and nail every step of the way with the ncaa and wound up coming out perfectly clean. North Carolina. North yeah. Carolina is obviously the one that comes to mind. But now you're even seeing this with the the Michigan State stuff, the Ohio State stuff. Baylor is now using, you know, in order to defend their football program, which had been committing, I mean, rampant sexual assault and covering it up for years. They're basically saying it's not an NCAA violation because anybody on campus could have been sexually assaulted, which is the North Carolina loophole. And the whole thing, I mean, just... If the Louisville cases and the North Carolina cases going on at the same time proved anything to the rest of the country, it was that you should never work with the NCAA. You should never be honest with the NCAA. You should never give them anything they want because it does you no good. And that's been, I mean, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't, you hate to compare levels of wrong and you hate to compare your situation with other gross situations across the country, but I think all Louisville fans would be lying if they said it didn't add to the frustration to see the inconsistency in the NCAA's rulings since dropping the hammer on UofL. I couldn't agree more. What do we got next? There you go. You got to love that sound. The March Madness intro here on the Aural Pleasure Podcast. We're talking to Mike Rutherford, the founder of CardChronicle.com. He's an editor for college basketball on SB Nation. Also the host of Ramsey and Rutherford on 790KRD. Huge college basketball fan. And I'd be remiss if I did not talk about some of these teams in the state of Kentucky while he was on the podcast. UofL, UK, and WKU. Three teams with... Looks like they could all probably make the tournament this year if things go out exactly as planned. Western Kentucky with Charles Bassey. Let's start there. I know you're the UofL guy, but let's start with Western because I'm a Western guy, and it's my podcast, Mike. I'm good with it. (laughs) Rick Stansberry has changed the culture. Fans are starting to come out more in droves. You saw them come very close to NCAA tournament berth last year. Now with a five-star recruit like Charles Bassey, what are kind of the expectations for you and the Hilltoppers this year? I think Western Kentucky is going to be really good. Uh, I'm a lot of Western fans hit me up when Bassey was cleared and when it was obvious that he was going to enroll at Western and said, "Is this a top 25 team?" I'm not willing to go that far just yet, but they can prove it on pr- pretty early in the season. They've got enough coming back to be, I think, really, really good. Conference USA is going to be fun 
because now we know Marshall is pretty established. I mean, that was a team that Western almost beat to win the, the league tournament right, and go to the yeah. NCAA tournament. And then we saw exactly how good Marshall is, is when they smoked Wichita State. I think Middle Tennessee, I know they lost Kermit Davis, but they should be good as well. There's some decent teams in that conference, but Western, you can definitely make the case to be the preseason favorite. Tavion Hollingsworth is a double-digit scorer that they're bringing back. He was a guy that I think the bigger schools in the state really should have looked at and are really going to regret not looking at when he was coming out. Uh, Lamonte Bearden's back. I like Deshaun Murray a lot, the transfer that's coming in from Auburn. Mm-hmm. I think he brings an element that they were lacking a little bit at times last year. But Bassey's obviously the big draw. You kind of, I mean, you're as a Western fan, does it sort of feel like you get a second chance at watching the player that you thought you were going to be able to see with Mitchell Robinson? Yeah, you know, I don't, I can't say his name on this podcast. He would not be <laughs> named. But it was like the only guy that I would ever boo on a college campus. I have a very strict thing of you shouldn't boo college players. Like they are, you know, they're not professionals. They're not getting paid for this. I think it's very childish to to do something like that at a game. But I've always said he'd be the only one that I'd boo. But just because he came on campus and left like three or four different times. And I just hated it. The Charles Bassey is the world right now. And before we move on, I want to ask you about kind of having these godfathers and these parents added to the coaching staff just so you can have these four or five-star recruits. It seems like Western Kentucky's tried to do that the last few years with Mitchell Robinson and now Bassey. It seems to be a little bit of a loophole when it comes to paying athletes. You could pay a, a athlete's parent a top assistant-level salary and still be okay under the NCAA but, and still have the student come to the team but that's something not that's not something new. People have done that all across the country, but it seems like Western's finally starting to get on that game. It's a gross loophole, I think, but everybody does it. Not I shouldn't go that far. Not everybody does it, but it's been prevalent in college basketball for like you said, a significant amount of time. I think Louisville fans and people around this area, they first kind of became aware of this phenomenon, or maybe they knew about it before, but the real the big one around here was when Dewan Wagner was coming out of high school. And he's Milt's kid. And Milt was a superstar at Louisville. And we followed Dewan Wagner from his freshman year of high school uh, you know, through the rest of his high school career, which is something that wasn't that ordinary back in the day. And then at the last second, Memphis gives Milt Wagner a job. And Dewan Wagner goes from being a guy that everybody thought was going to play for L to being a kid who goes to, to Memphis. And that was the first time where you kind of realize, oh, you can do this, and there ain't nothing NCAA can do about it. And right. now we've seen it if you want to keep it at Memphis, look at the fact that Tubby Smith walks into a situation where the Lawson twins dad had been promised a spot on staff in, you know, in exchange for them coming there and playing for Memphis. And the first year Tubby's there, he's like, you can't be an assistant under me. It's not the way I do stuff, but I'm going to keep you on staff in basically an ops position. After that year, he's like, I, I don't want this guy on my staff. This isn't the way I don't play the game. I don't do it this way. And so he gets rid of, uh, of Diedrich and Keelan's dad he sort of spurns this Memphis recruiting like 2019 and 2020 class, which is as good as it's ever been. None of those kids will talk to him. They all want to go play AAU for Penny Hardaway. They all become loyal to him. And it essentially costs Tubby his job. The Lawsons go to Kansas. Uh, Tubby gets forced out in what was basically a coup d'etat. Uh, Penny comes in. And now all these Memphis kids that had spurned Tubby because he kicked the Lawson dad off the the coaching staff are going to go play for Memphis. And Penny's going to kill it. And it's just, again, it's the way the world works. And WKU, I think the writing was on the wall when they got Bassey that they were going to bring in my guy, uh, what's his name, Cavassier? I think so, yeah. Yeah, He was going to become a guy who was on the staff. And, I mean, hell, we saw it with with, with Michael Porter Jr. and Jonte Porter. Mm -hmm. The second Lorenzo Romar got fired at Washington, 
You knew the Porters weren't going to go to Washington. And the second their dad got hired at Missouri, you knew they were going to go to Missouri. And it's just, it's it's out there in the open. There's nothing anybody can do about it. Uh, one last example, and we can move on. USC, they get hit by this entire FBI investigation. They have an assistant coach arrested. Everybody's predicting this to be the end of the Andy Enfield era. He's going to go down in flames. They've got the number one recruiting class in the, in the country right now for 2019. Andy Enfield went out and hired one of these kids' dads, who right. was a superstar in 2019 and had a little brother who's a superstar in 2020. Nothing to see here. They've got two top 20 kids <laughs> in their class right now. They're recruiting better than they ever did before the FBI stuff started. You got to do what you got to do, and if it's legal, who cares what, what it looks like to the outside world? Yeah, you talked about Memphis kids. We saw DJ Jeffries this year decommit from the University of Kentucky. It was Coach Cal's first decommitment at the University of Kentucky. And I know that you cringe when you hear University of Kentucky basketball a little bit, Mike. Big U of L fan, but this is a Kentucky team that I think could be preseason one, number two, and have a very good shot of reaching the Final Four. Tyler Hero, Keldon Johnson, these freshmen come back, but they also have a few sophomores as well that could really make the difference that Kentucky needs this year. Yeah, they're going to be preseason number one or number two. If I had to guess, I think people are going to make them number one just because they look so good in the Bahamas. And, and then play preseason number two, Duke, right? Like, I think Duke will be. Th- I think Duke will be three. I think Kansas is going to be one or two. I think it'll, it'll be between Kansas and Kentucky. I could be wrong about that. I know people love the fact that Duke's got the top three prospects coming in, but we've kind of seen the the whole Duke getting the best freshman in the country not work out all that well the last few years. They were fine last year, mm-hmm. but they haven't won as big as people thought they were going to. Kentucky's taken on this philosophy and done better with it than I think Duke has in a limited sample size. But I think the thing with Kentucky is the last thing you mentioned. All of Calipari's best teams, they've had superstar one-and-done guys who were you know, lottery picks, no, nobody questioned that, but they've also had really good sophomores and a couple of upperclassmen. Like the the 2010 team was that way, the 2014, 15 team that was the 38 no team they were that way and the 2012 national championship team was absolutely that way i think that's the biggest thing for them and now you've also got the added bonus of these guys having a chance to play with one another in the bahamas a little bit and and kind of get a sense of what it's like to be on the court together they look really good and I, i hate to even say it but there's not a real obvious weakness there and i think they've got a bona fide superstar in kelton johnson who can be better at carrying that load than kevin knox was a year ago yeah, and Andy Katz, a college basketball writer, just came out today and said his list of freshmen to watch didn't have Keldon Johnson on it, didn't have Ashton Haggins or any of these big-time recruits that Kentucky got, but Tyler Hero on the list as some of the best freshmen to look out for in NCAA this year. So University of Kentucky, you know they're going to be at it near the end. The University of Louisville, though, Probably very different expectations going into this year. I've always said, Mike, this is a very common saying, so I didn't think of it, but you never want to be the guy after the guy, Mm. right? David Padgett kind of had that unfortunate circumstance of coming after Rick Pitino and trying to live up to the greatness of as he was as a coach. Now that Chris Mack comes from Xavier, he's starting to get a few recruits, starting to get some momentum going for the University of Louisville. I know the Cards love their basketball as much as anybody in this country, but what are your expectations for them this year? My expectations, my goal, I'll say, is just for this team to make the NCAA tournament. I don't know if it's going to happen, but in my eyes, and again, everybody sets their own individual goals, and it's hard in a year like this where you don't really know what to expect. But for me, if they just make the tournament, I think it's a successful season. And I don't know if that's even possible. I would even go so far as to say there is a 
scenario where they could miss the NCAA tournament and I'd still be like, okay, I'm good with this. I feel like Chris Mack's doing the right stuff because when you look at it on paper, you had a team a year ago that wasn't good enough to make the field of 68. You lose the three best players from that team. You don't bring in anybody of any like significant consequence who's going to totally change things around simply by having his presence on the roster. Right? Why are you going to be significantly better? And the only explanation for making that jump is you think Chris Mack is that much better than David Padgett, and you think the stability of having a, a total offseason without any outside distractions is going to make enough of a difference to just, I, I guess, override the complete turbulence that was last season. So, I don't, I mean, a lot of these guys who played last year as freshmen or sophomores are going to have to have taken just monumental strides during the offseason. I love what I've seen from Jordan Wara. I think he's the most obvious example. But you've got to find a true point guard, whether that's Darius Perry stepping into that role as a sophomore or Christian Cunningham, the transfer from Stanford. you got to find that guy who can be a floor general and who can deal with the pressure that so many teams in the ACC are going to bring to you. The, the other thing is we're going to find out really early uh, just how much these guys have improved because that schedule is brutal. Thanksgiving week alone, they're going to play Tennessee, who's potential preseason top five, definitely mm-hmm. preseason top ten. If they win that game, they're going to play Kansas in the preseason in IT two days later. If they, if they lose, they play Marquette, who's probably a tournament team as well. Then they come home. Three days after that, they play Michigan State, who's another preseason top 10 team. It is as brutal a non-conference schedule as we've seen at Louisville. So Chris Mack, his feet are going to be on the fire right out of the gate. Tell me about you. Do you have a favorite memory from UofL? Growing up as a UofL fan, I mean, was there a moment that you look back and you think, that was when I really solidified or uh, maybe a big win or something like that. It seems like Cardinal fans usually associate basketball success to some of the happier times as a UofL fan. Yeah, I mean, as far as like growing up, there wasn't a moment where I just became a Louisville fan. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like breathing. You just do it. It's a non-reflex type <laughs> deal. It's just You just always knew that you were a Louisville fan. There are videos of me and like Louisville stuff growing up. There are video, tape recordings of me asking my dad who the good guys are on TV. It's just, it's kind of how I was raised. I mean, best moment, it's obvious for me. And even with all the stuff that's happened since the 2013 title, it felt like the, I mean, it it just kind of felt like the, the moment that I had like thought about so much of my life growing up coming to fruition and being there and and having all my friends there. Getting past Kentucky there around there too, right? Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was, the whole thing was just so much fun. And it was just like, you know, you followed recruiting you watched every single game even the terrible games in early december you watched the old wdrb broadcast you watch the, you find the games on espn3 you do all that stuff and you go through all that like just the the march disappointment sometimes with the hope that one day you'll get to watch an, a national championship with your own eyes and kind of have the same experience my dad and my older brothers did in the 80s and so for that to co- finally come to fruition was just Still pretty unreal, even with all the stuff that's happened since. Well, Mike, I want to thank you for joining the podcast. You've been great. Cardchronicle.com, member of SB Nation, also the author of 100 Things Louisville. Can we do a little rapid fire before we close it up? Let's do it. All right, first car. Oh, Chevy Lumina from like 1989. We called her Lucille. It was the worst car of all time, but I loved her so much. I like to name my cars, too. (laughs) I'm glad that somebody else does that as well. Favorite place to eat in Louisville? Jack Fry's. Never been there. So good. It's, uh, I mean... Definitely pricey, but if we do like an anniversary or a birthday thing and you can afford it and like, you know, splurge on one night out, it's absolutely Where's it at? It's right there on Barstown Road in the Highlands. Okay. Off Barstown Road. Favorite movie? A movie called The Lives of Others. 
uh, is my favorite movie of all time. I like Goodwill Hunting a lot too, but I'll go with a lot as well. I've seen Goodwill Hunting, not the other one. What's the last book you've read? I'm reading a book called City of Thieves right now. The last book I finished was called This Accident of Being Lost, and it was really good. DePaul, what's what's the relationship there? Why is that something that you bring up on your Twitter account and uh, you know the misery of DePaul? It seems like many times. It's a long story. The shortest version I can give you is a friend of mine. We kind of came to the realization when we were growing up that Louisville just never lost to DePaul. Like even if they were supposed to be really good and they were, we were supposed to be really bad, we won that game every single year. And so we just called it whenever we played DePaul. It was DePaul Day. We mm-hmm. never got stressed. We never freaked out. We knew we were going to win. And so when I started doing the website, I brought it to the website not knowing that people would like take it so seriously. I mean, people celebrated DePaul Day. We had Sean Moth announcing at women's games, like, happy DePaul Day. Russ Smith was talking about it. And I don't know if they really realized that they were just kind of crapping on an entire basketball program when they were doing it. So I'm kind of glad, I'm selfishly, I'm glad that we ended up switching conferences because eventually DePaul was going to beat Louisville at some point, And I was just going to not like be able to deal with it because people would have just gone nuts. But I want to be the head coach of DePaul There's no reason for a program located in Chicago that has history, that has backing, that has facilities to be as bad as they've been. I can't do any worse than Dave Lato or any of these other guys, so hire me, DePaul. Finally explained here on the All Pleasure Podcast, the (laughs) DePaul affiliation with Mike Rutherford. Final question, what would you do if you weren't, uh, you know, writing and being on radio? What would your career choice would have been? Well, I was in law school before I dropped out to, um, to start doing the college basketball stuff. So I don't know. That's a good question. I probably, I, w- I don't think I'd go back to law school. I don't think I could. No, I couldn't I, do it. I don't think I could do it. Too I, many I, late nights watching college basketball. To- too many late nights. I, I just, I did not care for law school one bit. And I don't think actually law school wasn't that bad, but I would not have cared for being a lawyer. I think I would probably write, but just about other things. I would, I would probably venture out to the non-sports world and try to make it as a writer. That's something that's always been in your family, right? Sure. Your dad being a big writer? My dad, my grandpa was a one to help the Courier Journal win a Pulitzer Prize back in the day, John Ed Pierce. Uh, my dad, my brothers, my mom's a really good writer too. So yeah, it definitely runs in the blood. Well, I really appreciate you helping out the the low ends of the iHeartRadio world, joining the podcast, talking about the UofL Western game this Saturday, 7.30, a 23-point spread. I think it's going to be a little bit closer than that. Hopefully it's a good game. Thanks for coming on, Mike. No problem, Billy. I appreciate it, man. It's the Oral Pleasure Podcast, episode number nine. The podcast for the short attention span. Thank you for joining us. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes. You can also listen on Spreaker.com and Spotify as well. Now, you know what time it is. It's time for the Sounds of the Week. is Tyreek Hill for Kansas City. Back pedals, takes it at his own 10 and wants a left return. Gets two blocks, gets up to the 15. Attacks at left 20. He's at the 30. The cheetah's loose. 40 at midfield. There goes the cheetah. 30, 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Kansas City. That didn't take long for the cheetah to unleash. It's hard to describe. You know, it's it's been a long time coming. We played him. Very well since I've been here at different games, and it's been very, very frustrating. Could not be more happy for our players. Uh, they just showed unbelievable character. They've been a joy to work with, and for our fan base, it's waited a long, long time for this one.
touching me. You owe me an apology. I know that everyone was cheering for her, and I'm sorry it had to end like this. Um, I think Nike's trying to, uh, you know, get out ahead of it and try and do something that's special, and I think they've done that. It's a, it's a beautiful spot, and uh, some pretty powerful people in the spot. Today we mourn their loss, we share their story, and we commemorate their incredible valor. We remember the moment when America fought back. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We do not own any of the audio or music played in today's show. Credit to HBO, ABC News, and iHeartRadio. And we'll see you next time.